KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next is Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is July the 3rd, 2012, and tomorrow is July the 4th, 2012. Once again, yes, a a festival of freedom. Freedom. What's that? Toni Morrison says that freedom is the full use of one's powers, of your capacity, you know, for creative living, etc. Of course, there are two freedoms. There's the freedom to be, that is, to be yourself, to individuate, um, to grasp the nettle and live. Then, of course, there's freedom from, like freedom from poverty and slavery and all the bad stuff. Most people talk about that. Freedom from repression. uh, Freedom from disease. Now, that's a tough one. Uh, I think that's about fate. Uh, Obama, President Barack Obama, has tried to give us some of that freedom. The Supreme Court of the United States has gone along after the... uh, Long assault from the right, from the right-wing nuts. Amy Goodman was on the Bill Maher show, uh, a satire on cable television this week. Amy quoted someone on the subject of the Supreme Court's decision, you know, to go ahead with Obamacare, and mentioned the tie-breaking vote of Chief Justice Roberts. Um, anyway, someone, Amy said, uh, said that obviously we've got to go looking for um, a Chief Justice Roberts birth certificate. Right, the birthers will be busy, busy, busy. Um, go out and find a birth certificate for Roberts. Never mind. Um, joking aside, I think it's... Probably a good idea to be slouching towards socialism slowly. Anyway, tomorrow is July the 4th. Independence Day, my favorite um, event for July the 4th, is the death of two of our forefathers, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. You remember uh, 
Let's see, the Declaration of Independence came along late in the 18th century, and then um, those two men ended their lives in 1826, the same day they both died on July the 4th, 1826. It's an amazing date. I think if I were still a high school teacher, I would put that at the top of my list of dates, you know, 1066 and all that, and then Tom and John. They had um, many divisions over their lifetime. Mostly it was about slavery. John Adams, well, his wife, particularly Abigail Adams, was virulently anti-slavery. And uh, in old age, they began to write to each other again and pretty much made up their differences. At least they kept their friendship at the end uh, Mostly today I want to talk about Thomas Jefferson and his uh, wife, well, his, I don't know, we call her a common-law wife, his, his relationship with Sally Hemings, which lasted for 38 years, uh, began five years after the death of Thomas Jefferson's wife, uh, First wife, well, the woman he was legally married to, Martha Wales, right? Um, he promised Martha that he would never remarry. Anyway, for for uh, an interesting spin on John Adams, I really, really recommend the TV series John Adams. We're not supposed to plug anything here on this station because that's political, but... <laughs> Paul Giamatti does a terrific spin on John Adams. He has a wonderful scene towards the end where he's old and Abigail has died and he he just becomes so enamored of existence. He just goes kind of fey and he turns into this wonderful existential poet. He's out dancing in the fields there. I I wish I wish they'd save that for um the actor's epitaph, because it's just a wonderful scene. Uh, I loved Laura Linney as Abigail. The scene, there's a scene I'll never forget. Her daughter dies of breast cancer. And uh, as far as disease and 18th century medicine goes, that was pretty definitive. Uh, I still think about it when people talk to me about cancer and the treatment for that, um, Abigail's daughter, she's had uh, children. They take the children away from the house because the daughter's having uh, breast surgery upstairs. Never mind. Uh, Abigail Adams is mostly known now as a feminist, you know. Remember the ladies, she said to John Adams. <laughs> he said, with all the problems I've got, John Adams moaned. You mentioned the biggest tribe of all, you know, that would be uh, more than half the nation anyway. Uh, if you get a chance, the, the show runs all day, the 4th of July. I'm not sure. I think it's HBO, of course, so if you don't have that, no good. Uh, I'm sure it's for sale. title is just John Adams, the actor who plays John Quincy Adams, the son excellent guy, can't remember his name oh shoot, 
He was later a president of these United States. He does a wonderfully stern uh, characterization. The family problems were obvious. The one son is an alcoholic, that sort of thing. Uh, Abigail Adams left alone for long periods when she has to uh, take care of the farm. There's a lot of that in the 18th century. Thomas Jefferson, too. Uh, his oldest daughter, Martha, pretty much in charge. Uh, another daughter who lived to be 25 was the only other surviving child of his uh, first marriage, uh, she was, again, ill, disease, freedom from disease, this we haven't got yet. Anyway, the males were out in the world, which was also dangerous. Um, I think I was charmed by the scenes in the two books I have with me. One is fiction and one is uh, a reference book by Annette Gordon-Reed, and I was, ups I was well... Uh, Actually, it's not all that funny. It's a scene where Abigail Adams reacts to the arrival of Sally Hemings. When Sally comes to London in, uh, was it 1887? She's sent over on a ship with um, Jefferson's daughter, little Polly. Yes, uh, I guess, yeah, that is the one who dies at 25. Another child, little Lucy, has died uh, with three children uh, remaining, let's see, right, and two were in the U.S. Oldest daughter Martha had come to Paris when Jefferson was made ambassador. She was put in a convent. Polly was put in the convent as well when she arrived. Uh, there were two little girls, yes, in the home of relatives back in the U.S., these two little girls died of whooping cough, prevalent in that day. Um, and Thomas Jefferson sent for his remaining, the remaining daughter there. Uh, obviously, this was a responsible job, and Sally had the job of bringing her. Uh, see, Polly was nine. Sally was 15. Uh Abigail's impression is that this was, um, well, she said she needed considerable care, this 15-year-old girl. Some people thought she was a flirt. Um, as I said, Jefferson had been a widow for five years. Uh, Martha Wales died when he was about 40, I think 40, right? So if the affair began in Paris, we have Jefferson, age 45, Sally Hemings, a incredibly beautiful young woman of 16, well, 15 or 16, according to most accounts. Check out a movie called Jefferson in Paris, which had good, good spins and not so good. Nick Nolte played Thomas Jefferson, if you can swallow that. The first documented child of the union of these two is 1795, and that's back at Monticello. That was Harriet. Harriet, yes, $50 and a good horse, and off she went to the north to take up her life in the white world. Now, those years, the 1790s, Thomas Jefferson spent a lot of time in New York and Philadelphia. Uh, but the the book that I have in front of me would indicate 
that he was in residence at Monticello um, nine months before the birth of each of Sally Hemings' children. And, of course, now we have the evidence. It's all, well, they had to do, they had to do the uh, testing over in England, would you believe. Uh, the University of Virginia is still hemming and hawing about this business of uh, the uh, children of uh, Sally and Tom. By my count, there are seven children. Uh, four grow to adulthood, two died. The first child is still being argued about. Uh, it means that Sally would have been pregnant when she got on the ship to come home to Monticello. And uh, that one, that pregnancy is put in the movie Jefferson in Paris. Uh, they kind of make that the raison d'etre. The, well, the... the, the uh, the character of Sally Hemings is portrayed as childlike. Uh, she just wants to go home to her mother in Virginia. That's the way they play it. Uh, her brother, James Heming, is a character in that movie. Very interesting. I find it fascinating. It's all about language, you know, whether or not James, the older brother of Sally, was a chef or a cook. I thought of that thinking of... President Barack Obama's grandfather, he became a cook for the British, the colonials over there in Kenya, got a job as a cook, well, or a chef, depending on how you look at those things. Anyway, uh, let me read you a passage from W.E.B. Du Bois, one of the great scholars of uh, the late 19th and early 20th century, writing about the propaganda of history, a black scholar of major proportions. Du Bois writes, We shall never have a science of history until we have in our colleges men who regard the truth as more important than the defense of the white race and who will not deliberately encourage students to gather thesis material in order to support, to support prejudice or to buttress a lie. There you go. Now, it is W.E.B. Du Bois who wrote in 1901 or 2, 1902, I think it was. I confuse that because my parents were born in 1902, and I keep confusing. Anyway, Du Bois wrote that the problem of the 20th century, now past, the problem of the 20th century, said, will be the problem of the color line. It seems to me in teaching this subject, the first job is to distinguish between race and color. That's a tough one. Most people really do seem to get the two confused. Uh, in Tony Morrison's book, Playing in the Dark, which comes to us from Harvard University Press in 1992, she wrote, Race has become metaphorical, a way of referring to and disguising forces, events, classes, and expressions of social decay and economic division far more threatening to the body politic than biological 
race, in quotes, ever was. Toni Morrison uh, has it down. That's in, you can find that in Playing in the Dark. Uh, I think Toni Morrison is, well, it's my favorite scholar in today's world. There's a celebration of Toni Morrison's life coming up in September of this year at the University of Virginia. She's 80 now. I think uh, I'm told she's in a wheelchair now. Um, the poets and scholars are gathering to honor her. Uh, we will try to find out. I will try to get her most recent work and use that on KPFA sometime before September. Uh, let's see now. The big book. The reference book I have, for those of you who really work on this stuff, and some of you do, it's Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, An American Controversy, by Annette Gordon-Reed, a black scholar, or let's see, black woman, who is a black scholar, graduate of Harvard Law School, associate professor of law at the New York Law School, and it's published by the University Press of Virginia, okay? They did it. They had the guts there at the University of Virginia. They call it controversial. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's nonsense. But it was written before the latest DNA evidence. So this is um, what already a bit dated. Uh, anyway... Annette Gordon-Reed intensifies what they're calling the ongoing debate about the character of Thomas Jefferson, his beliefs, and uh, <laughs> what he was up to. Now, we all know that Thomas Jefferson had rather confused views on race. He would have to have had. Uh, he could rationalize darn near everything. And the notion that a... A slave master who could allow 10-year-old boys to work 12 hours a day making nails. Uh, I think we can assume that it wouldn't bother him too much uh, to have a, a love affair with uh, one of his slaves. Uh, he was not at the time a married man. Uh, families, it says here in Annette Gordon-Reed's book, Families all over the South had fathers, brothers, grandfathers who had relationships and children with black women. Just as Southern families, including Jefferson's, had emotionally disturbed relatives, wastrel nephews, granddaughters who were physically abused, ne'er-do-well relatives, all this is a part of life and certainly of antebellum Southern life. Uh, okay, uh, to suggest that these things are somehow in that slave system, but not really of it. <laughs> well, that makes no sense at all. You got it? Uh, I think it's fascinating how we are able to live this kind of schizophrenic existence. There are wonderful stories in this reference book about the way in which the so-called white slaves at Monticello were there serving at the table, and the oldest son, uh, Beverly, apparently was very light-skinned, red-haired, that sort of thing. Uh, he disappeared. They, the uh, children were listed as runaways at times. That was a convenient way of letting them go out into the world, cross the color line, 
so-called. Okay, I don't want to read you the all the unkind things that were said about Thomas Jefferson. Uh, There's a lot of stuff about his being a benign despot. Uh, Excuses made for him. Uh, Okay, uh, especially with regard to, well, his... I, I have often wanted to write a book or a play. I started a little playlet once and couldn't get anywhere with it about the grandchildren of Thomas Jefferson's first marriage and the children of Sally Hemings. They would have been of an age, same generation, and how it was that they got along together there at Monticello, how they uh, may do. But I find that even more interesting is the lives of all these women together. They were closer in their relationships even then, um, Sally and Tom. Uh, there have been several television shows, one of which showed <laughs> showed a hidden staircase that led from Sally's quarters to uh, Thomas Jefferson's, a little spiral staircase. But in the main, it was the women. Um, uh, there's a record that sees Sally uh, breastfeeding one of the children, one of Thomas Jefferson's grandchildren when the daughter was weak. In general, we have uh, the so-called white uh, children of Jefferson's, the women being frail, except, of course, for the eldest, Martha, who had 12 children. She was married to one of those, uh, uh, one of those dissolute, let's see, Randolph. He was the Randolph character. He was an alcoholic, and Martha uh, Jefferson Randolph found herself back at Monticello with all her children, and uh, she became the mistress of the house and stayed with her father uh, for most of her life. It's interesting, isn't it, how these things fall out. Uh, The fact that Sally's mother had been the housekeeper at Monticello for most of her life, for 30 years, uh, makes me see these relationships Uh, Well, let's call it, I would call it a female-centered or matrifocal uh, household. The keys were in the hands of these women. Uh, Fascinating stuff. I'm going to jump here. Oh, shoot, I'm running out of time and I barely opened these books. Uh, Yes. Oh, Thomas Jefferson had taken to his bosom a sable damsel, say the papers. Uh, Okay. Let me give you just a little bit here more of the facts. Then we'll jump into fiction about what Sally's mother told her. I have a book called Sally Hemings by Barbara Chase Ribod, R-I-B-O-U-D. A best-selling classic written way back in the 80s. Uh, this is a wonderful... Uh, it's The title is Sally Hemings Fiction. Check it out. Uh, but uh, there's the one where you could make a play, I think, is Sally's Mother telling her what it would mean to love a white, um, what is it, plantation owner, what it cost her. Uh, now, back in the reference book by uh, Annette Gordon-Reed, we read, as the daughter of a woman who was half white and a white man, Sally Hemings was, 
according to the racial classifications of the day, a quadroon. Oh, my great-grandmother was a quadroon. Ah, ah, fascinating. Same period, well, not quite the same period. Sally was described as being nearly white in appearance, with, quote, straight hair down her back, unquote. According to accounts of slaves who lived on the plantation, Monticello, and uh, accounts of Jefferson's grandson, Sally was considered to be very beautiful, so much so that she was known as Dashing Sally. Uh, footnote here, the, um, the um, papers, tabloids of the day, called her Dusky Sally. As a member of the Hemings family who worked in the big house, she was at the top of the slave hierarchy at Monticello. She spent her early years running errands for Martha Jefferson. Uh, what is it? In one account I read, it said, Sally did a little needlework uh, and was in charge of the bedchamber, the uh, laundry for the uh, bedroom of Martha Jefferson and later of Thomas Jefferson Wright. Uh, the 14-year-old Sally... This book says she was 14 when they left to go to Paris. Accompanied the nine-year-old. That's Polly or Mary or later called Maria. <laughs> These names. Accompanied the little girl to Paris in, a, in 1787 after the death of that youngest daughter, Lucy. Thomas had sent for her. Anyway, there's a lot here about... Uh, the reasons for sending Sally to Paris, Jefferson had asked. His instructions were uh, that the family send an older woman with his little daughter, suggesting that a woman named Isabel be sent if she had already had smallpox. Now, Isabel was about to give birth, so they sent uh, Sally instead. Jefferson's specifications were not trivial. Okay, uh... The person who came with her, he, he, well, he was worried that, uh, you, you know, the potentially fatal disease of smallpox would come with her. And Sally fit neither of the requirements, that is, that she be, uh, older or that she have had, she would have had smallpox. Sally was not an adult and, uh, Jefferson paid to have her vaccinated after she arrived in Paris. Uh, and this chapter goes on to talk about John and Abigail Adams meeting them in London. Jefferson was supposed to come to London to pick the kids up, and Abigail Adams had been expecting an older servant, and she thought Sally was, quote, quite a child, unquote, and as wanting more care, right, than Jefferson's daughter, who was very quiet and polite, apparently. Anyway, Ramsey, the captain of the ship that brought the girls to London, offered his opinion that Sally Hemings would not be particularly helpful. He suggested that he take her back to the United States. Oops, this girl was a flirt. These observations had been used to paint a picture of Sally Hemings as extremely immature by some folks, yes. Okay, they mention a lot of people, letters. Uh, the argument is that it would have been impossible for 
Jefferson to have been attracted to Hemings because he would have seen her as little more than a child. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Anyway, Abigail was expecting a middle-aged woman. Anyway, the child was physically advanced for her age. Okay, now, the point is made here by this modern scholar Annette Gordon-Reed that the captain of the ship might very well have wanted to take Sally Hemings back with him on the ship, back to Virginia, where she would be alone with him and uh, <laughs> susceptible perhaps to his advances. Never mind. I've been trying to tell you about uh, the lifelong love affair of Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, which lasted for 38 years. And they had seven children. And they are the mother and the father of our nation. So happy Independence Day, everybody. I hope I can go on with this next week because it's really a beautiful story, heartbreaking. Remember, the novel is Sally Hemings by Barbara Chase Ribaud, R-I-B-O-U-D, last name. The reference book is by Annette Gordon-Reed. And she has another new book all about the Hemings family. Check it out. Back next week. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. This has been Jennifer Stone. to Hotter Than July Belly Dance Extravaganza, a community celebration and benefit for the Girls Rocks Belly Dance and Body Image Program. This family-friendly, wheelchair-accessible event takes place on Saturday, July 28th at 1 p.m. at La Pena Cultural Center, 3105 Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley. The suggested donation is a $10 to $25 sliding scale. The Girls Rocks Belly Dance and Body Image Program is fiscally sponsored by Dancers Group. For more information,